2: Kelly Cates and my day job is asking people questions about football so we've decided to do a podcast uh, alongside my brother not just for reasons that are due to budget or availability uh, but also because uh, Paul you played Premier League level Scottish Premiership level MLS you've been a coach both at youth and senior level you're now a president and who'd have thought when we were sharing a bath as four and five-year-olds, that you'd go on to be the president of a football club. I
1: know, yeah.
2: I, I, and that was even without knowing about the bubbles we made. <laughs> but look, you, you, we're doing this because, well, look, obviously the most important thing at the moment is how everybody is and, and making sure that everybody is is safe and well. But I think also it's, it's fair to say that you miss the stuff that, that you love at the moment so how are you filling the time without football
1: well to be honest with you I've been I've been quite busy in in my role trying to work out how to navigate these these waters and they're a little bit uncharted for for anybody Um, you know presenting new budgets without bringing in any revenue in the short term trying to minimize expenses so it has been um, it has been daily work for me trying to Uh, predict what the unknown future is like so it's been quite a a time-consuming couple of couple of weeks for me but uh, I think we're in a place now where we're you know we're just ready to to see what's next.
2: We will talk about that but I would happily swap places with you because I am isolating with our parents and my children and Oh my god! I think everybody hates me. I've been cooking in mum's kitchen, so she hates me. I've been homeschooling the the kids, so they hate me. But dad brought me a glass. Dad knew we were doing this, so he brought me up a glass of wine just to calm me while we while we were making the podcast. There you go. He's the only one who still likes me.
1: (laughs) There you go. Well, that's. uh, I don't know who you're going to have to parent more. Your kids or my mum and dad?
2: (laughs) I tell you what. There's only one of them. The one of the set of them that needs more speaking to about the right kind of behavior they're being really good and they're doing everything that's required of them but you know what they're like they want to argue about it and why are we doing this and who's telling us to do it and what what do they mean and does it mean we have to do this and oh my god it's relentless
1: but what why did you let him why did you let him do that toilet roll challenge you could hear you in the background
2: (laughs) but because i didn't want to so it was either him or me and one of us us had to go under the bus so it was yeah I thought did that we
1: Did he was... even listen to the instructions? Because he did something no. completely different. Yeah, what I know. Done.
2: Well, no, you know what he did? He did the first right. one first. And then and then did the um he's just come in. He's just come in to pour me a glass of red wine. Thank you. Okay. you get me, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting near me, that's two. <laughs> <laughs> um, <he's, laughs> but you did the you did <laughs> once, but you know what he did? He started doing it properly, and then he went, no. So then he started doing it the other way around as well. So he just, he invented yeah. his own challenge. Just, I don't know what oh, he did. He was yeah. getting bits that, out of the that. carriage. He had he had one boot on that was a size too small for him. but he So he wouldn't put the whole pair, the, like the pair on. And it's like, well, dad, you've got a slipper on one foot and you've got a boot that doesn't fit you on the other one. And just, yeah, it's been fun. Well, he's getting I'm old. Missing, I'm missing lesson, football, to lesson. be honest. Are you well, not? How, how long before we can put him in a hole? he's actually he's listen he's brought me wine so he's my favorite parent at the moment what um (laughs) but listen i am i am missing football are you are you missing it are you missing just like yeah but what but i think it's, it's weird things that you miss about it isn't it like the structure and stuff
1: yeah it's it's the the structure of your daily routine you know you know you got this time you go to work uh, you come home at this time, you've got a daily structure. Now it's it's a lot more random because you've got so many people in the house all the time and, and events change. Um, it, it's just, it really is unprecedented. And, and the things you miss are the conversations and the, the, the camaraderie, really, that you have within football. And I don't know if that's the same, Kelly, in the, the media side for you, but no I don't like
2: anybody I work with (laughs) you know I'm difficult no that's That's not true that's not true though it is it is that thing of going to work and seeing people that you actually get on with and like spending time with you do miss that but you just but also I just miss because because a lot of what we both do but in different ways is about being at games I miss being at games because we grew up going to football from tiny I mean when we moved down from Scotland with with mum and dad you were six months and I was nearly two and what mum would take us to the to the games and she'd have you in her arm and me sort of waddling along by the side and have to try and contain these two small kids because she didn't know anybody she didn't have babysitters she didn't have anybody else so she'd be wrestling with us through through the whole of the match trying to trying to see what was going on so I don't I don't remember a time when when we didn't go and I find it really strange even though you have you have a summer and it's only been a couple of weeks it's that sense of i don't know uncertainty about it that's weird because we went we went Mm. the the biggest game we went to together though having been as kids all the way through was in was istanbul which was an experience Mm. That
1: that was it was an experience yeah from the 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 time we got on the plane in the morning and, you know the worst thing about it was you know that like the complete the com- you were just absolutely exhausted after the game from the emotion then mm. you get to the airport and you realise <laughs> that it's absolute carnage at the airport in the tent- everyone's getting on the wrong plane <laughs> but you, I, can you imagine we'd lost sitting through that. It was yeah, but before unbearable. we got to the
2: plane, we couldn't get on the right bus. You know, they had all those kind of sharabangs that were taking us to the airport, and none of us could yeah. find the right bus. It was the weird and obviously we were still trying to find Gav because he'd fallen off his chair and find the find yeah. everybody who kind of made oh it was yeah. And then you and got that and they played yeah, three songs on a loop. They played, you'll never walk alone, we are the champions, and another one, I can't remember what it was, in that that sort of tent outside. Yeah, it just played three songs on a loop. <laughs>
1: Do you remember? Do you remember the, when we were? I, I we thought we were clever buying beer off the guy in the street, selling it to the buses, and we got it <laughs> on the bus, and
2: it was sin, alcohol. Yeah,
1: it wasn't it wasn't our greatest
2: move. It probably helped us stay away from the final. I know, that's true. We would have been a mess yeah. if we got there. I don't even like beer. And I was sitting there drinking non-alcoholic <laughs> beer because I thought, well, I might as well have a drink. <laughs> How often yeah. do you get to the European Cup final? Um, talking of which, we are joined by former Bolton and Houston Dynamo player and USA International, now analyst and host for Fox Sports and Turner Sports, also the co-owner of Real Mallorca, it's Stuart Holden. Stu, as a Manchester United fan, as a kid, I'm sure that hearing about Istanbul <laughs> isn't going to be on your the top of any of your list anywhere, but what's, what's the best moment that you've ever had as, as a fan? Uh,
3: you know, actually now, uh, having, uh, we'll get into this later. I'm sure with Manchester United is effectively a game against them ending my career. I I'm quite happy to support Liverpool now. So, uh, <laughs> c- congratulations. I was in, uh, Madrid, uh, last year for the, uh, Champions League final working it as an analyst. It was fantastic, but you know, my, my favorite moment as a fan was actually as a United fan. It was, Uh, The the, uh, Champions League final the year they won the treble. Uh, I was living in the United States at that point. My dad let us skip school because the game was on in the middle of the afternoon. And I just remember when... Uh, Solskjaer and Sheringham scored those goals just going absolutely mental running laps around <laughs> our living room um, and, and and watching that game on TV you know and that wasn't even in a life uh, a match but it's just kind of an example of, of the release uh, that football can give us kind of away from everyday life and you know now being in this really unique situation that you guys were talking about it's kind of uh, then it's a, it's a weird normal isn't it that we yeah. don't even have the release sports at the moment no it's true it's true I just can't believe your dad let you stay off school to watch it on telly
2: <laughs> we weren't even allowed to do that and our dad, our dad was playing in it we had we weren't allowed <laughs> to take time off to go and watch it it was only down the road in Wembley and um, but look that you're right it is a really strange situation and it's really unsettling for lots of reasons that that aren't necessarily anything to do with with football, but from a football sense, Paul and I were just talking about that, you know, when, when football has been part of your life, not to have games is, is just such a, a strange feeling. What what are you missing about it?
3: You know, I, I'm missing a lot of the same things that you guys miss. Uh, the, the energy, the excitement inside these stadiums, uh, you know, going to matches uh you know working with people that are all football people that we say you know and that's all we talk about it's all I watch on TV I couldn't wait I even had my 4 year old this morning saying daddy I miss soccer mornings where you know oh. the, the Premier League is on very early here on the west coast in in Los Angeles but we watch you know when we wake up we have breakfast together on a Saturday morning we watch the footy then daddy goes off and I I do you know and work in at my games and uh you know typically in society whatever is going on it's a little bit of what i alluded to earlier though it's it's you know football is is a release it's a way for people to uh you know to come together to support a team to be emotionally invested in something to you know to ride the highs and lows the 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 tribalism uh, that comes with football as well but yet Now we don't have that. You know, we're watching old games. We're starting challenges online. We're posting football pictures. You know, the football community will always exist. But yet there comes a point where reality starts to set in that you don't get anything new to talk about other than the fact of everyone other than Liverpool fans hoping that the season is null and void so that Liverpool don't win a title now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think are pretty much united in that. just, Just for the record. Just for the record, before we came on, Stuart said, "Hey, you need to keep Paul brief because he can get a little bit long-winded." Oh
3: my god! (laughs) I get paid to talk for a living. I I thought you told me I got paid by the minute, Paul. (laughs) Paid by the word. I (laughs)
2: hope. Listen, Stuart's our guest. He's allowed to talk. That's the that's the point of it. That's the point of recording. What What else have you been filling your time with, Stuart?
3: Uh, my, my four-year-old just learned how to ride her bike, so we've been doing bike rides. I, I've been running along next to her uh, to get my workout and We've been doing capital letters, lower like, lowercase letters. I bore you to death with it, but I haven't changed <laughs> sweatpants in the last two weeks. Um, we're fortunate in Los Angeles that we have uh, 75 degrees of sun every day, so that's, that's kind of a, a slight consolation. But I, I've refreshed Twitter and Instagram more times than I think my entire life combined.
2: Yeah, it is. It's just constantly looking for news and, and updates and different things. Paul was, was talking about, you know, the issues at, at Miami and, and trying to kind of deal with these uncharted territories. What, I mean, you, what's, your, what's your involvement with Mallorca on a day to day basis?
3: Yeah so I am uh, one of the the minority owners in Mallorca I have been for 4 years we you know we we've seen back to back promotions from Segunda B to Segunda and then straight into La Liga and this is our first season in La Liga we're actually currently in the relegation zone uh, just on the edge it's it's been a challenging season for a number of of reasons and then you add this on top and it's really difficult because uh, today as as we're recording this this podcast barcelona just announced that they've you know they've committed to making 70% uh, wage cuts to make sure that staff are fully funded we made a commitment as an ownership group through march Uh, that everybody would be paid in full. And, uh, you know, we're still having those conversations right now with players and coaches about what's going to happen because if the season doesn't resume, we miss out on massive amounts of revenue uh, from a club perspective. It's difficult to keep that going. Even if the league does resume, it's much like the Premier League. If it's empty stadiums, you don't get the gate revenue, which for a club of our size, we rely heavily on. Uh, TV revenue is a big part of that. Sponsorship, marketing. It's all honestly... I'd, I'd love to give you a hard answer on kind of exactly what we're doing, but it changes daily in Spain right now is uh the, the cases are rapidly accelerating much like they did in Italy. And, and I think there's no clarity on when uh, football could actually resume. And, and quite frankly, it, it's actually second fiddle to, you know, it's as, as Jurgen Klopp said, I thought put really well, it's, it's the most important of the least important things right now. And, you know, I think the health of the country is, is really, uh, the most important and, and we're trying to figure it out whether you know what we do with our club if we, we're trying to fall in line with a lot of what the other clubs are doing in Spain as well right now.
2: Yeah you're absolutely right it, it's not the most important thing in the world at, at the moment but you do have you know responsibility as you say for, for employees that includes the the players and I think there are differences, as, as you point out, that Paul's in, in one situation at, at Miami. You're in another situation at Mallorca, which will be different again from, uh, you know, a club like Barcelona or Real Madrid and the resources that that they have at their disposal. And, and similarly here in in the UK, you know, there, there'll be teams in in Scotland. There will be teams in in England. You know, the, the top Premier League sides will, you know, be have better resources. The other teams further down the football pyramid who are going to be struggling and could potentially go out of business because they're losing their match day revenue while still having all those those payments outgoing it just seems it seems so complicated what are miami doing paul
1: um it's it, it is complicated i think that every situation is different uh especially in a country like america i think uh, we're, we're dealing with um we're dealing with it on a daily basis so in America, it's not like being in England, where if you resume, that you can you can go back uh, to getting on buses, and even if you play closed door games, you could keep the players in a safer, let's say, environment uh, without too much outside influence by taking them on a bus to games, and you can still travel really anywhere in England via bus on the day of a game. It, when we're playing in America, we've got a, a series of states. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, and we, we, you know, MLS even travel domestic. Um, there is a certain, only allowed a certain amount of chartered flights. So Mm -hmm. you are, would be asking players to get onto aeroplanes to play games. The other, the other, the other problem that we have in America, uh, as opposed to, to being in, in, in England is we're also under state laws. So it might be that a certain state has more stringent rules in place than another state. Right. So within the league you might have you might have um you might have a team in, in, in Florida that is allowed to play before a team in Portland. But mm-hmm. does that mean that the league should wait for the last person to be ready or should the league start with the first team? that are I mean we we have a very, very complex situation over here. And even at the MLS level you've got Canadian teams, so you've got another country's rules to deal with. So it really is a a very, very complex situation here. And what I see and what I am predicting is that there will be a lag between what we're allowed to do and what people perceive they feel safe doing. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what we're trying to deal with. There might be a, a, there might be a situation where, okay, social distancing is taken away. However, you can only be in groups of 10. So then you can't get a training session. Then all of a sudden, okay, now you're allowed in groups of this size, so we can get a training session on. But now you can't play in front of the fans because it's a mask garden. So mm. it, it really is going to be um, really a, a very, very individual approach for all the teams who have to operate by on this side of the pond by state and national rules.
2: Yeah, because you see yourself as a you're a community asset as a as a football club, aren't you? Rather than a um, a sort of a, a, a major franchise, is that fair? Is that the... Yeah,
1: and, and it's very difficult to serve your community or know how to serve your community when you can't leave your house. Yeah. Um. So we, we're currently going through conversations about how can we create content, how can we provide for, for the community whilst this is going on. And, and that's our daily thoughts at this moment in time. We don't want to go dark. We want to make sure that we're still doing what we should be doing in our, yeah. our role.
2: And there are there are responsibilities of football clubs, I suppose, you know, Stu as one of the, as you say, minority shareholders in, in Real Mallorca and Paul, you know, you're president of, of Miami. I think it's, it's, it's interesting to ask you both about the sort of wider role of, of football clubs throughout this whole pandemic. You know, what, it, what can you do to support your community? And as you said, there's, there's one thing about keeping them informed on a, on a football level, but you know, the clubs have, there have instances of, of players taking pay cuts in order to help, as, as Stu was explaining. You know, people taking players taking pay cuts in order to help other employees at the club. But there's a there's also a wider role. Like you say if you're if you're a community asset and if you're a club that has um, a presence in the community, you can be supportive in in lots of different and and creative ways. You've seen lots of clubs getting involved in in different schemes to try and to try and help out. People who aren't necessarily related to the the football club.
3: Yeah, and Kelly, I, I think you can even take that to a micro level as well within our football club. Is that, you know, we're we a club that has uh, has turned its fortunes. Um, based on creating a culture and an environment where people want to come, where they, there's a sense of team. Um, you know, we have, have really changed a rotted culture at the club and, and one that has turned so positively that now actually is an important time for us to once again show to those players that have committed to our club and the the staff members as well, um, That they are part of a project that is a family and that the family takes care of them in a time of need and not, you know, potentially and it's going to sacrifice uh, mean sacrifice from us from a revenue and a financial standpoint in the short short term. But these are also players that let's say we don't treat them uh, right in this moment in time and the fans as well that in three months, perhaps, uh, if, if and hopefully the league starts up again, you're going to be asking to put that shirt on and to fight for you and to keep this club in La Liga. And, you know, those are the things you're trying to balance as you make these decisions from a financial standpoint, as well as on an emotional level, because we all have stopped work right now. We all know people that are out of jobs. We all know people um, that will have uncertainty surrounding their jobs when they return inside and outside of football. And could you imagine then being asked to go back to a job that had effectively cast you off during this time? And you're struggling to know when you'd be able to put food on the table for your family. And that's that's kind of this emotional level of the, of this pandemic that you don't know when it's going to end uh, it, it changes on a, on a day-to-day basis, and then outside of that, you are a release for this community. This this sense. You, you know, like you said, you have this greater responsibility to, you know, to offer and, and to, to represent an island, the island of Mallorca in the city of Spain. And, you know, how do you do that when you're not playing football? Can you do things in the community? Can you give back and you still have a presence and not hide during these these moments in which you have an opportunity to to perhaps a, a enhance your reputation and, and stay true to everything you, you've been working on?
2: Yeah, I can feel that, that sense of, of responsibility as well. I want, I want to ask you both about the players as well. I'm particularly used to you because I think that if you imagine the players, you see a lot of them at home. They are necessarily training alone. They're on their own, you know, training regimes. They're, they're trying to keep fit. They're being sent, well, some of them are being sent programs from, from club physios, club doctors, and from obviously the, the training staff as well. Um, is it, is there a similarity, do you think, to to having a, an in a different way, obviously, but but a similarity to to a long term injured player? Is it that similar kind of approach that you have to, you have to sort of be separate from from the rest of the group?
3: Well, yeah. if there anybody that should be able to answer that question? It should probably be me with my uh, injury history. I'll get that out there before <laughs> Paul absolutely hammers me. Um <laughs> no, yeah, though. But I, think, I think, yeah, t- tra- training alone and, and having injuries, it, it tests your mentality. And uh, I learned a lot about myself during my time in effectively isolation away from the club in Bolton and watching games on TV and not being able to participate. I think there's also a sense in this, in this unique situation and what you're doing it alongside other players. And how do you, as a coach... You know, and and hold your players accountable to what they're doing, checking in daily. But ultimately, you can't manage. Them 24 hours a day, the same that when they're in a football club. You just have more time around those those players. So you have to put that responsibility on them that they're eating well as well as they can. They're they're taking breaks with their families to enjoy the mental part of that, but then also reminding them of their responsibility as a professional footballer to uh, to stay fit, to stay healthy. And that when football comes back, you don't know what preseason is going to be like. You don't know how long that break's going to be. You don't know if you're going to have six weeks to get fit and healthy. And if you can get yourself an edge by by staying fit during this period, then that's perhaps an advantage. I would be, you know, messaging to my players if I was a coach. Paul, I don't know what you guys have done with your players, but saying, look, come on, this let's use this as an opportunity to once again gain an edge on perhaps in our competitors that are going to come back, you know, fifty pounds overweight because they don't have the resources or the drive and determination that we do.
1: The problem. Um, the problem that we have is normally when you're preparing for something, you know what the date is that you're preparing for. And it's difficult to know whether this would be a good time for players to, um, to, to rest or whether to train when you don't have a target to focus on. It's very, very difficult to know when you should work backwards from that target so that you can peak for that first game of the season. So, um, it is really a, a very, very strange situation.
2: It is a, a strange situation. And and Stuart, we, we talked about the injury, particularly that that time at, at Bolton when you were out and you were um really struggling. It's tough, tough circumstances to try and, and get yourself back in when you're when you're not part of the of the everyday life of that. But it's even tougher when you know that an injury is gonna, gonna bring an end to to your career because you haven't had time necessarily to prepare for that. That mentally or were you were you were you starting to make plans do you think for life without without playing
3: yeah, I used to say uh it was like going to Disneyland but not being able to go on the rides mm. and having to watch everybody else you know go go on all these wonderful experiences, and you knew what that felt like and I can honestly say by the time that I'd retired with my left knee injury, my right leg injury, I'm I'm not going to go through it all because I'll bore everybody to death, (laughs) but uh, you know, three ACLs to go with it that I knew I gave absolutely every ounce of energy and mentally and physically to try and play football again. And once, once I knew that last time, uh, I was trying to come back, I had, I had a feeling that, you know, my body didn't feel the same. I didn't feel like I was going to ever get back to the level that I'd gotten to before. So I'd started working on other things outside, which one of which was media. And, uh, when, when I tore my ACL for the last time, my daughter was, was, uh, was about to be born, uh, Couple weeks later, and it just felt like the perfect opportunity to say goodbye to one part uh, of my life. I, because I never say goodbye to the game because the game now has given me this, this second uh, career, which is a media one in media, which I love doing. I get to go to all the matches. I covered the World Cup last year uh, in Russia uh, two years ago now. And you know, being in those stadiums was was a close second to actually still, you know, being out there. Nothing will ever, will ever touch, you know, being a professional footballer and having those moments as in my career. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's something that I don't think all players in talking to other players, uh, Paul, you included, have, uh, were able to find something so quickly that they um, found motivated them and gave them the same type of um, fulfillment that football gave us. Um and and playing football because it took me a number I think the first couple games that I went to walking into those stadiums and smelling the grass it's such a weird thing to say but you know that that smell of you know just freshly cut grass walking into a stadium the lights are on the the, the roar is starting to to build that was tough for me to deal with initially that people weren't coming to watch me anymore that I would now be one of those people that was watching the people and um you know, since since my mind shifted and I I no longer saw myself as a you know professional footballer and that now this was my career, I I couldn't have been more excited to kind of dig into this and and build a career still in, in football and still doing this today and still as motivated as ever.
1: We we spoke quite a lot during the process
3: um,
1: when you were when you were coming back from from injury and do I remember rightly that you you got to train Jurgen Klinsmann invited you into training the U.S. national team when you were toying with the idea of of, of coming back, and I, I think I remember you at the time, if I'm correct, and you you almost felt closure that you felt, you know what, I can I've had a good career. It's now about thinking about my long term future. But that that experience training with the U.S. national team gave you a little bit of closure.
3: Yeah, I think uh, talking to you a little bit before that, Paul, and uh, and two other people uh, that were were uh, I kept close contact with. One of which was Steve Nash, who you know, as a is a famous basketball player here and, and had just recently retired. And I, I, I was toying with the idea, do I give it one more time? Do I give it one more shot? And then I I'd been training in the background, but not really. And then I ramped it up one more time. Jurgen Klinsman gave me this fantastic opportunity. The first two weeks I felt like a Premier League footballer, again, I was talking and thinking about going back and and talking to Neil Lennon at Bolton about going back for one more time. And then the next day, I took a cut on my right leg and tore my ACL. And it was almost just like, you know, that that was almost like I needed that. I needed to go out. I needed to to just be out there one more time, know myself that I'm closing that book uh, finally and and moving on because – uh, it didn't end in the way that I wanted it to, but I was incredibly proud of all this stuff that I'd done before that, and a little bit bitter, of course. And I look back at different moments and wish that they hadn't happened the way they had. But uh, I think each moment, and yeah. and hopefully like this moment that we're experiencing right now with coronavirus, it, it teaches us a lot and gives us opportunities to reflect and grow in different ways, and and appreciate the game of football and life in general uh, mm-hmm. even much more when we when it all comes back to normal.
1: No, I was going to say Kelly that Stuart. Uh... You know obviously we've known each other for a few years but the 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 mental strength he showed wasn't normal during the the recovery from injuries because there's a there's a i think the psychological impact of of being injured it's very very difficult for you as a as an athlete who's been born and and, and trained your whole life to compete to Actually, he used the Disney World experience or Disneyland experience. It, it's very, very difficult for you to have something taken away from you that you love playing football uh, and then watching others do it and not feel some kind of resentment. And the, the mental strength that, that Stuart showed, and not only the mental strength, the, the 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 willingness to help others that were in the same situation um that he was going through to try and
3: help them through it yeah and and paul you know and i i don't think i've ever spoken about this really publicly before but um you know i've had many moments where i where i broke down and you know tears and you know, needed, needed family, needed friends. I, I came back the, the last time with Bolton, my last game that I played was a reserve game against Everton. I, I I'd spent a full year trying to come back from my ACL, came back, they put on a game for me uh, at the Reebok and Dougie Freeman was the manager. I came on, played 20 something minutes, 21st minute tore my ACL. I knew it straight away. I tried to keep going, did it again, went down in a pile on the, on the, on the field and just heard the crowd gasp and, i just got straight up i jogged straight down the tunnel uh followed by coach by physio by everybody and I laid there in the physio room, and I was just bawling like a, a little child, you know. I, I and I said, "That's it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm mm-hmm. retiring." And I felt that way for probably two weeks. Uh, Dougie Freeman took me out for a meal in Manchester. He said, "What are you doing to yourself? Why are you doing this? You know, y- your body's clearly telling you no." And I said, "You know, uh, yeah, I think you're right." And then two weeks later, I said, "You know what? I, I've I've got my life." Uh, I've got stuff in my life that I know I can do if football's not there anymore. And, and after like an initial period of feeling bad for myself, I always found a way of saying, do you know what? I want to do this one more time. I can do this. And Mm -hmm. I would just dig straight into rehab, you know, and put the blinders on, not listen to anybody and just focus on me. And that was how each time I kept trying to come back from this, even though eventually my body said, you're not gonna win this fight, buddy.
1: <laughs> can I can I ask you, can I just you something, Stu, as you as you look back now over that time? Because sometimes when you're going through a hard time, um, you you don't realise at the time, but you're actually you're actually gaining experience and, and, and improving in other areas of your life. Do you think that going through that experience helped you when you look back now? can you see the positives of any of the positives of going through that experience of where you are now today
3: yeah i mean that that's the only way that's the way my mind worked that that was the only way I, and i don't know if that was inherent or i don't know if that was having suffered you know a, a, an injury in high school that i had playing football that you know kind of gave me that perspective of What how why I was so fortunate to even be able to play football for a living. But for example, my my first injury against Man United, I met my wife, um, who I've known now for 10 years. And that was the first time we met. Um, You know, the second one, I moved to the United States and have made some fantastic friends. Uh, I would say that you know each each injury that I had I could look and pinpoint an area in my life in which I felt like I've grown and that was the only way that I even allow allow myself to think I don't I don't allow myself to think oh you know you're on the verge of a big move to a top six club you're on the you know you you were you were robbed of minutes or another world cup in 2014 or you know that not that stuff's irrelevant you you drive yourself nuts thinking about that and and I know players that do think that way and you just can't allow yourself to 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 go down into those holes. And I I look back and I I hope it comes across that I I I think so positively of my career, even though my you know, my five years I spent in England, I think I only played two years of football, which is, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed. But also, you know, I I think of those two years as two years that I played in the Premier League and I stand here and tell friends that you know that I was pretty lucky for that. That
2: that's the thing though, but you have to go through a process to be able to to get to that that stage and i know we we have to be particularly now we have to be careful with 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 the language around it but it's almost like a grieving process is what it sounds like that sense of sort of going into yourself and and almost reprogramming
3: your mind a bit no, it's it's one hundred percent a real thing. And I I used to remember at Bolton there were a couple other longer term injuries. Mark Davies was one, uh, Sean Davis who played at Portsmouth as well. And you know, we, we you all you kind of become in many ways, this this little cult of of injured players, and you get very mm-hmm. close to these people because it, you you typically bond with people over shared experiences and or traumas or you know setbacks and negative parts of of, of your life and your career. And you know uh, Mark Davis, for example, was a player though that, uh, you know, was so talented, but he didn't have the type of mentality to deal with it. And he, he felt his career going off the rails. He'd be out drinking. He'd be out with his mates. He wouldn't be doing, you know, the things he needed to at home. And I, I remember, uh, and, and to, to your point there, Kelly, is, is just like, you you have to go through this grieving process, but you also need the right support system. I wish I could go into mm-hmm. every football club and and, do, and have conversations with the injured players about what are you doing with your time? What are you doing to stimulate yourself away from football? Because football's not going to be there for for a period. It's going to be there in a different way. You're going to have to go and, and watch every single weekend as these guys play. And even if you're on the bench, you're wishing that the guys aren't doing as well on the pitch. I mean that's 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 an un, yeah. a, a part of football that people don't talk about all the time. Except now mm-hmm. you can't even impact that. And your job might not be there when you get back healthy because mm-hmm. – Paul, you can talk to this. Football clubs will be looking to replace players, you know, and yeah, um that, that that's the unfortunate part of the, that I, this is a business. It it is, and, and you
1: have to when, when you know I think that there's there's two things. I think that it, the way I think if you look back now, I think you were really unlucky. I remember that you were just about to sign a new contract when you got your first injury at in Bolton. Yeah, I was two um,
3: I was two starts away from the in the Premier League from my wages doubling and adding two years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No. And 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 then so there was a double whammy, not only of of the technical side from from not playing, but from the financial side as well. Um, so I I knew you went through that, but I would say that I would say that if you look back now, Bolton I think gave you every opportunity. Would you say to to try and maintain being a Premier League football?
3: Yeah. And, 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 and playing it's playing with them it's a reason i'm i'm forever indebted to that club and forever a fan of bolton wonders and you know uh, sadly the, the the chairman phil gardside was a big part of you know the fa and he was uh, he was so good to me and actually you know, mm-hmm. when I first had the first injury, him and Owen Coyle called me and said, we're going to give you an extension on your contract. When I came back, the, the, back in 2014, he extended my contract for another mm-hmm. year on my current wages with the club. And, you know, he, he was so good to me. And, and they treated me and gave me an opportunity yeah. and environment to, to really focus on my rehab as well. And uh, I know not every player is as fortunate in that respect. And, yeah. and it puts a little bit of strain on, you know, on, on your ability and, and to focus on that fully, on, on recovering.
1: That was one of the things I was going to say, Stu. To that not everybody gets treated like that in football. Football can be a, a very cold game at times, where, and, and emotions taken out of it when it comes to a business decision. And I was, I was really, uh, it, it made me happy that situations like that can happen in football, where they they reward somebody who has been uh, a brilliant servant to the club. Just going back to the grief comments, Stu. It, it, it genuinely is grief, and, and the easiest way I can describe it is. When you walk into a room, you describe yourself as somebody. So you walk into a room and you describe yourself as "I am Paul leash. When I was coaching, I'm a coach. Uh, or I might walk in and go, "I am Paul leash. A, a, a husband might walk in, "I am so and so's wife," or "I am so and so's uh, uh, husband." And and you could you walk into a room and you subconsciously describe yourself as someone. When you walk into a room. And you have been telling yourself for your whole life that you're walking through and you're a footballer. When that is taken away, it is a grief that is missing from your life that you have to find some way to replace. And I don't think you can ever get rid of it, Stu. I think you've just got to replace it with something else.
0: Hold up.
3: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. No, I, I agreed. And, and you know, you, you, I think that the advice that I would give to people that think like that as well is that you're always a professional footballer. You You always... that that can never be taken away from you and and I think to your point the grievance it gives you a feeling and a sense of confidence when you work walk into rooms and you can identify directly with what you are and it's not probably even for you yourself Paul to be able to you know uh when once now having this job as the president of a football club you know that's that's like that's that's something you you you're very proud of and you've worked very hard to achieve and all the things that you've done in between and you know, Kelly, I'm a big fan of your work and get to watch snippets over here. We're in the same industry. And, you know, knowing what it takes to be on a national level broadcast and the amount of work that goes into that as well. And, you know, the, these are these are careers and professions we work our whole lives for. And and when they're taken away from us or we have a period away mm-hmm. from them, you struggle with an identity of 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 who you are and, and what actually makes you work every day.
2: And I yeah. think maybe we have, we have different levels of professionalism, Stuart, if you think that, if you think that is, is taken that. But thank you. That's very kind of you. But I just, um, <laughs> I think it, it's just interesting to talk about that, that sense of self and, and where that goes at the end of it. Cause Paul, that you, you were saying it almost in a, in a third person way, really, and talking about Stuart's experiences. But because yours was different, yours was a, a fade, really, rather than a, rather than a line in the sand, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I I I, um, I I faded from the first moment I kicked the ball. Uh, <laughs> it was always a fade from there. No, it was for me. It was uh, I. And it was funny. Stuart, Stuart will tell you the story. I I jumped in. Stuart and I were, went to a family party. Remember, Stuart, in Lake Conroe in Houston, and I uh, I jumped. Stuart, as uh, his dad had. I'd hired some jet skis and I got a text message from Stuart in the car saying we were all going in the car, the five of us that were playing for the Houston Diamond at the time. And Stuart said, my dad's got two jet skis. Let's go in and get changed first and then we can get on the jet skis first. So Stuart and I ran into the house. We got changed, ran down to the end of the, the deck and we went to get on the jet skis and there was a light and I put my hand on the light and I, I jumped. I, I, the light moved and I thought, oh, it's water, it'll jump in. So I jumped into the water and it was only like six inches deep. It was, there was reeds and I couldn't really through. So I landed and I'm lying with a life jacket on, but I wasn't even up to my, that wasn't even under the water because it was, it was shallow. And I said, Stuart, I'm, i he thought I was joking, didn't you, Stuart? At the time, you thought I was joking. And I was, yeah, which you, which you normally are, mate. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, boy, you yeah, cry. Yeah, I, I was, and my ankle was, I'd done So anyway, uh, they're all off on the jet skis and I'm sitting in the front garden of the house with my foot and a bag of ice with my foot, and I had to call the manager and I had to call the, the, the physio and tell them, um, I, I think I'm going to be out for a while. And they, they, they were convinced it was a lie that, that Howard had done it, but it, it, it was exactly how it happened. And what I did was, because my contract was out at, at the end of that year, I, I was trying to get back too quickly. And I, I ended up running with a limp and I sent everything out of balance in my body. Um, and I ended up developing, um, pubis osteitis, which is, um, where the tendon comes away from the pubic bone and I, I just couldn't run. Um, I was taking so many painkillers just to get through training. I was told that it's a two year rest injury. Um, I just got married to Brandy and, and to be honest with you, football, it was a little bit different for me because football wasn't enjoyable anymore mm. because I couldn't, my body couldn't do what well, my mind wanted it to do so I, I I actually I didn't it was the right thing for me to do at the time to, to retire however I I didn't really I, I, I had I had closure on my career um, the only thing that I found hard Stuart um, and you can tell me if it's true for you as well was I found it difficult at the beginning to watch players that I was thinking I don't like the fact that they're still playing and I'm not playing anymore that, that that there was a little bit of resentment. I must be honest. When I, I watched certain players play, that they were still playing and I wasn't. Um, that that made that was the only thing that I ever had. But that went away quickly as well.
3: Yeah, I, I had a bit of that. I think mostly it was with the national team because I was covering a lot of the national team, and I would see players that, like you said, I, I still felt, oh gosh, if I could just get back healthy, I know I'm better than this guy, and look at this yeah. or the you know these wonderful experiences, but yeah i i just um i think uh, like you said I, I think after a period i i was able to shift my my focus to being okay look you're you're retiring at 29 if you become a good broadcaster in your early 30s you've got yeah. a 10 year head start on anyone that's still going to try and play yeah. the or do what i do after the fact you know and that was yeah. I guess uh, the only way I was able to get through it. <laughs> yeah. What a brilliant
1: transition! So, what a brilliant transition, Kelly. I think that I think that we spoke about you know Stuart's career on how how things um, turned out at the end of his playing career. But should we should we put a positive spin on it and talk about the I transition think that's nice. playing and how
2: well he's done? Yeah, definitely. I think so. And you'll see because I like like Stuart. As well. no, but like Stuart was saying, I see I see snippets rather than. You know, I'm not I'm not in the same same country, so I don't see as much as as you do as well. But it just seems like it's that that transition has been smooth and seamless and and really, really well received.
3: I think Paul will tell you, I I always used to say, for people who ask me how I got into media now is that uh, whenever a camera was on in the locker room, I, I was never one to say no, or uh, I always used to say yes. And that's why the the Bolton PR lady used to, she used to love me, Jenny, because she'd go, Hey Stu, I've got, I've got 30 interview requests. Uh, which one do you want to do? And I said, I'll do all of them. She goes, no, pick two. And I said, no, I'm happy to do them all. Bring them over. So, um, no, I mean, I, I always had kind of an affinity to that. I, I was, uh, I had a producer here in the United States that, um, once I picked up that injury in the Gold Cup final, he sent me a note. Uh, we always joke. I said it was only two minutes after I got injured. He said, <laughs> "Do you want? Are you interested in doing TV?" And I said, "Can I? Can I have a minute to see if I figure out if my ACL is actually torn or not?" And um, you know, I, I, I dabbled in it a little bit, and I've, I've enjoyed doing it now, and, and hope to do it for for many, many years to come. Yeah, it's it's all going well. Paul,
2: what do you think of him as a as a as a as a host and as oh, a gosh. as a talent?
1: I so uh, do you know what? I will be sure it's good. And and I like the fact he's got courage to, to put his opinion on the line and, and, and stick to it. it's not always the, the party line. Um I would say that it's a difficult place to be in the media in America and and, and it's not something I want Stuart to go into, but you have there is a political pressure to Told the party line in terms of what you say in the media um, and it's not as it's not as open uh, an opinion in, in the media in America as what it is in, in the UK where you have people that will actually just say the opposite of what's, what they're meant to say just to try and create an aim for themselves whereas in America, because it is a younger game, there is a political pressure to say you are supposed to say and I think mm. that one of the things Stuart does Very, very well is gives a gives his opinion, uh, which is genuine to his, but with some experience and some thought behind it, which separates him from others because he, he will go against what the norm is if he feels it's right, but is also brave enough to go with, uh, his opinion if, if he thinks it's right as well. So I think that, I think that he is kind of one of, if not the leading media people in, in the United States at this moment. Well, uh,
3: Ke- Kelly, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your experiences, uh, you know, as, as with UK and, and Sky and, you know, the way that you guys cover the game there versus here. And, and to talk a little bit about what Paul was saying, you know, I, I'm interested how much interaction you have with the actual Premier League or the FA, for example, when when you're covering different properties, because... You know, I think we as a soccer—and um, I, I switch back to using the word soccer here—as as 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 a sport in the United States, we're we're still a growing sport by many by many respects. And I used to love that about the UK. It was you wake up, footies on the telly, it's on the papers, it's on the radio, it's all everybody's talking about. Here, you're competing with you know football, basketball, baseball, hockey, all these sports that have been in the United States for so long. And I think it's an interesting conversation because there's been this tendency to um reflect and to resist any type of uh criticism and it's it's typically seen here as stunting the growth of the game and and there's a there's an overwhelming sentiment that all, all all criticism should be mostly positive we should talk we should build up the good stories let's not talk about the ugly stuff whereas i think um, that, that sometimes the ugly stuff drives conversations and it makes it feel real and it it puts it, uh, makes it more interesting in, in broader sporting topics. So, you know, just for example, how much, how much conversation or pushback do you get ever from the Premier League and saying, oh, you know, we don't like the way that Jamie and uh, Gary talked about that or we don't like the way you guys covered this and we didn't think it was fair and here's the facts because we actually get that quite frequently from a lot of the major leagues here including U.S. soccer or whatever it might be. I think that's a really interesting question and a really
2: interesting analogy to make because I, I think you're right, the Premier League does feel like it's an established, um, it's an established league. Obviously, the you know, football was around for for decades before the Premier League, for hundred years before the Premier League even kind of um put their put their mark on it. And then they they've taken it, certainly the top tier of English football to a to a different level. And so I think with that comes a degree of confidence that allows you to be open to criticism, and I think they understand. By and large, they understand that um, it, intense conversations and debates, and even at times criticism they may feel is is unfair. I think they 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 understand that that drives interest in in the game and the way exactly that that you're saying. I, I mean, I think if a line was crossed, then then they would, they would probably get involved and they would be having conversations with producers, but they're also generally quite accessible. They, they try to make themselves available to, if you want to check things with them, then they're, they're generally by and large available to, to be able to do that or to be able to put their, their point of view in a, not in a, a foot stamping sort of, we are the Premier League and this is how we do things. Um, and I can only talk to my experience with them as well. So other people may find them and other people at different levels uh, may find them more difficult to to deal with. But from my point of view, uh, because I work, I don't just work for, for Sky, but I work for the Premier League's international coverage that they produce themselves as well. So I feel as though the, the community, and, and that's slightly different because that is a little bit more, you know, the Premier League as as a product, whereas Sky is is putting their own definition of the the premier league as as their product. So in in my, in my experience I've always found them relatively you know easy to deal with. I've found them open to to conversations and I think that if if you're fair with them I think they accept to a certain level that criticism. I mean nobody likes criticism but they accept that it's part of what makes the product Sellable and what makes it what makes it something that people are are interested in. No, no, I think
3: yeah, I think the word you use though is a confidence and there's a security. I think that we deal with a massive insecurity here in the United States at times of you know whether Major League Soccer and. You know, just for example, um, Chicharito uh, Hernandez, who Mm. was at United and Sevilla and a number of places. He moved to MLS just recently with the Galaxy and he made one comment about, you know, this is the beginning of my retirement. And it was taken out of context because I think what he was trying to say is my career in Europe is over and now I'm beginning this new career. He's still of a good age that, you know, you can get some good years, but this isn't prime Chicharito Hernandez when he's 21 years old coming to, you know, Manchester United. And it it erupted here because everybody is saying, oh, look, it's a it's a retirement league again. This is where Beckham, this is where Lampard, this is where, you know, Pirlo, Henri, all these guys came to finish their careers. And we're nothing more than that. We're never going to be a top league rather than embracing where the league is in its, um, you know, in in its infancy compared to the Premier League and the English football leagues, etc. And I think that's where. You know MLS and American soccer and these leagues need to really lean into that and to make it mainstream. You have to be able to take some of the criticism on the chin and and take that as as short term lumps and that people actually care and want to have these conversations about your product. Football
2: fans being sensitive, I'd never have thought it. <laughs> the thing is, we've all, we've all done it as well though. We've all been that oversensitive football supporter because that's what we all are really. At the end of it is, you know, people who who care about stuff, and you do. It can make you incredibly sensitive to to any kind of criticism. Listen, Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to somebody I'm not related to.
3: Yeah, uh, well, how's your wine glass, uh, by the way? Oh, is your is your wine glass full? Is uh, oh no, a, a wee bit more from uh, wee King that, Kenny or there. That?
2: that long that long <laughs> chat that you and Paul had just was perfect for my wine glass. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. No, but, uh...
3: I, I appreciate you letting me about the uh the the Dalgalish family banter. Um right. I'll have you know also Paul uh did many horrible things to me when he lived with me um for a short period in Houston also on the road things involving a toothbrush which we can't uh talk about here in public <laughs> on a podcast. So
2: Oh
1: well, that's- yeah, I never used I never uh, <laughs> Yeah I, 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 I used do you know do you know the uh do you know the toothbrush <laughs> But in, it was invented in Scotland.
3: Do you
1: know that? Paul? He's Called every listener. No, he said that the, the toothbrush was invented in Scotland. Otherwise, it would have been called the teeth brush.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? If we've got to that stage, I think it's only polite that we let Stuart go and say thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> thank
3: <laughs> you, guys. Have to See listen
2: any more this. Stuart, thanks
3: so much. Cheers, thank you,
2: bye bye, Paul. Now you've mined your one friend for information. What we're we going to do for the guests for the rest of it?
1: Yeah, I need to check my I need to check my celebrity friends and see if <laughs> I've got any more for us, Kelly. But you, and listen,
2: yeah, your 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 friend even shorter than mine, so I'm not going to and, ask you for any help <laughs> trying to find the guests. <laughs> well, we will we will do it again. It was really lovely to talk to Stu and um. Yeah, it's nice to talk to it. I know I said it was nice to talk to someone I'm not related to, but it's nice to it's nice to talk to you from the mouth because nobody just put the yeah. kids on the on the Skype to each other. So it's nice to talk to you as well. Yeah, I won't say Very that enjoyable. again. I won't say no, that. Don't be nice. <laughs> don't shoot you. All right. Speak to you soon. Bye.